Grant, O Lord, that thy word only may be spoken and thy word only may be received. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. I want to share with you this morning um, a bit of time within my own life. Um, And I might have done this before, so if I have, uh, please don't fall asleep for the next three minutes. It'll get better. Before I was a priest, uh, as many of you know, I was a greenskeeper or golf course superintendent. Um, And there was a point in my life when I was offered the opportunity to enter into discernment to become a priest. And to do so, I had to uh, sort of messed up life, if, if you will, for a few years. And I remember distinctly the day I quit greenskeeping. I went and saw the general manager of the golf course I was working at. Uh, and told him very excitedly that Bishop Gray had called me back to Mississippi to go through the discernment process for the priesthood. Um, and the general manager, very excitedly as well, said how proud he was of me and how uh, thankful he was and that I was also fired. <laughs> so he, he needed somebody. It wasn't a bad thing, but he needed somebody who could give 110% 24 hours a day, seven days a week. I couldn't do that uh, when I made my mind to do something else. Um, And so the next hurdle came in trying to find employment while I went through the two-year discernment process to enter seminary. And I went and saw someone in my old hometown of Meridian to try to find a a job and employment uh, while I went through this process. And it was, uh, actually I was contacted by a certain man. He had sent uh, two other, um, or in his family's history, he'd sent two priests to, to seminary and sort of helped fund their education. Um, and so he had a long tradition with that and he wanted me to be the third. And so he asked me to come speak with him and by the grace of God, I did. And I remember uh, what he said to me and the first thing he wanted to do, because um, I remember sort of the waves of emotions that came over me. He told me the first thing I was gonna do at his companies, he had a conglomeration of companies, was sales. I was gonna, uh, you know, venture out into the sales world and learn all about it. And that's when I told him, I said, sir, um, I'm gonna be a priest, not a salesman. What, you know, sales have nothing to do with the priesthood. And he said, you're gonna be a priest. What do you think you'll be doing? (laughs) Sales, that's right, sales, evangelism. And so I went out um, and learned how to be a salesman. And I remember the bad taste I had in my mouth for sales. I remember in my time as a greenskeeper, how salesmen would come by and disrupt, disrupt the day, how they were always trying to push something you might not want. Uh, and I just remember the awkward feeling that went with it. And I remember fear sort of coming over me that I'd be the person that would come in and try to push products on people that would come in and disrupt people's day that would sort of be the person who would be a dreaded part of, of the working life of some place. Um, but I went out. And that's the thoughts that were coming to me is I read from the lessons this week in the book of Acts. We have the story of Philip and the Ethiopian eunuch. And what we really have are lessons in evangelism in a faithful life. So I thought I would share some of that with you this morning. Now to introduce or to get us a little more familiar with the story of Philip and the Ethiopian eunuch, uh, introduce the characters. First of all, we had Philip, one of the first seven deacons called proto-deacon. He was uh, 
chosen, along with St. Stephen, whom we remember the day after Christmas um, in his martyrdom, we remember uh, these, these, these deacons. They were ordained, chosen to care for the orphan and the widow and the poor and to wait on tables because the apostles, the church had grown and spread so much that their primary duties would not allow for them to take care of the widow and the orphan. Um, and so they raised up among them righteous men, uh, Philip being one of those. So Philip is a deacon. The other person is the Ethiopian eunuch. He's an extremely prominent man, and I don't know if that comes through in the text so clearly. He's in the court of the queen, the court of uh, the Candace dynasty of Ethiopian queens, and he's charged with the entire treasure of the queen. So he's sort of, to put it in business language, the CFO of all Egypt. Um, We also know he's a proselyte, that he was coming back from Jerusalem and worshiping, that he believes in or has come to find something true in the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, in the system of worship of the Jewish people. So here is an unlikely character, Ethiopian eunuch, one of the wealthiest men, one of the most powerful men in the kingdom of Ethiopia. The CFO of Egypt meets Philip the deacon. And the story of evangelism ensues from there. So the first lesson we learn about evangelism is from this. An angel of the Lord said to Philip, rise and go toward the south to the road that goes down from Jerusalem to Gaza, the desert or wilderness road. Now the first thing we learn is that Philip is instructed by an angel. He doesn't make a cold call. He doesn't decide of his own free will and own sort of smarts or reason where he should go because by reason he shouldn't be going there at all. He was going out into the middle of nowhere, to the middle of nothing. Instead of going to the centers in Jerusalem, the centers of of trade or commerce or centers of education to evangelize and do God's work, Philip goes into the middle of nowhere and he meets the most unlikely character, the CFO of, of Ethiopia. He was instructed by the angel to do this. So, for our own evangelical efforts, we should realize that it is God who should lead us, not our ideas, but God's. We should be open to the spirit of God telling us where we should go, leading us different places. We must listen to God's who, what, where, and when. And not try to devise our own. Now we have a bad taste in our mouths for the word evangelism. That's because we see so many efforts on so many fronts in our part of the world. Some of God, others not. But it's not ours to choose. It is ours to be faithful and listen to the call of God. God, today we see, since Philip... In the opposite direction, we would naturally think we should go and to meet a very unlikely character. We must listen to what God has for us and not try to derive it ourselves. Second point. And the eunuch said, how can I understand the scriptures unless someone guides me? Now, we're shown here a very important point that Christianity must be explained, must be taught, understood. This 
story, Philip and the Ethiopian eunuch parallels the disciples walking on the road to Emmaus with Jesus. It is not till Jesus opens their eyes to understand the scripture that they recognize Jesus. It is not until the Ethiopian eunuch has his eyes opened by Philip till he understands and is taught the true meaning of the Old Testament that he understands. He must look at the lens, the scripture, Isaiah, through the lens of Jesus and see Jesus as the completion, the fullness of the Old Testament. Philip opens his mouth and beginning with this, this scripture, the scripture of Isaiah, he tells him all the good news of Jesus Christ starting from the Old Testament prophets. So we must know something. It tells us something, doesn't it? We must have a knowledge of the scriptures to evangelize. We can't hope to be successful when people come, we find people that are hungering and thirsting for God if we know nothing of the Holy Scriptures, if we know nothing of Jesus ourselves. And we must have the courage to evangelize. Philip had to open his mouth, which is sort of a powerful way of saying, you know, Philip mustered up his courage and told the eunuch all about Jesus. Reluctance is seen sometimes in a civil culture as civility. But reluctance to share with others the good news of God and Jesus Christ is actually a lack of trust. It's a lack of trust in our own ability, a lack of trust that the person will receive it. But if we are faithful and obedient to God and if we have an active and lively prayer life, God will lead us to those people who are hungry and thirsty. God will give us the words. We must study and be faithful in all of this. So Christianity must be explained. We cannot hope to go out and explain this. And as Episcopalians or Anglicans, we have uh, a lot to do because in this part of the world, I can remember back from my own different times in my own life, when someone would come up to me and say, are you born again? Have you been born for above? Or are you saved? They would ask all these kind of questions of my faith and I couldn't answer them. It was only when I began to look at the scriptures when I began to study my faith, that I could say, well, yes, I have been saved. Yes, I'm born again, and this is what it means. Uh, or when someone had a question about, our, why do y'all do this in the service? Or why do you do this? It wasn't until I understood that I was able to teach and to show people in a way that was meaningful. So don't ever forget that's extremely, it's an essential part of our faith. No one can understand Jesus until they can have the scriptures explained to them. Now, the next point comes here. See, the eunuch says, here is water. What does prevent me being baptized? In this, we see no thought or discernment, no sleeping on it. It's an immediate response to the eunuch understanding Jesus as shown in the scriptures. We didn't have to wait for a big day. We didn't have to wait till we could get a reception together or big parties and family in town and uh, the right season and all that. They stop when they see the first water. And the eunuch is baptized, is, becomes Christian. The sacrament is done. For us, it's the same. We must act, not wait around or wait for the right circumstances, for what we think is the right circumstances to happen all the time. Because really and truly, and this again from my sort of tales from Father Jeff's life, um, a lot of times I'll have ideas or, or things I feel compelled to do, ministries I feel compelled to participate or, sp- or sponsor, uh, sometimes even directions and visions for this parish I feel very strongly about 
And I'll say, well, we'll start that next calendar year. Oh, we'll wait till Advent and do that. That'd be a nice time. Most of the time between when I have these ideas and prayer, these visions, and the time I say we'll do them, the passion for those things dies. Hearts grow cold. And it's the same with a lot of people. Well, I'll start uh, going to Bible study next month or in the summer when things calm down. We'll begin going to church again. And we'll do this Lenten discipline. Uh, you sort of come on strong in the beginning and then wait around and passion for things dies. Our hearts grow cold. We become lukewarm. We talk ourselves out of doing the will of God. See, here is water. What is to prevent me being baptized? A lot of what prevents us from living fully into our lives as Christians is ourselves. Next point. And when they came up out of the water, the Spirit of the Lord caught up Philip. So here, Philip is taken away. He's not allowed to linger. And we are pretty certain that Philip and the eunuch never cross paths again on this side of heaven. They never see each other again. They never have any interaction again. Philip does what he is called to do, what he was called to the wilderness to do. Then he is snatched up and sent on to his next duty. They don't linger around and have a party and do all these things. He's gone. Which tells us we must do what God asks. This journey is about God and not us. It's about us being servants of God and not about us fulfilling our own desires. The question it poses are, are we willing to be instruments and to follow where God leads? Or do we do things on our terms and the way we like it, not the way God wants it? Oftentimes we want to stay around and revel in our accomplishments, revel in what we've done instead of go on to the next task, to the next passion that God puts in our hearts. You know, I learned a lot from that man in Meridian working for him. I learned a lot about sales. Sales, at its heart and at its best, is not about pushing a product that somebody doesn't want. It's not about being the worst interruption to someone's day. It's not about doing a horrid thing. Sales is at the heart of economy. Sales is an essential duty. And salesmen who are good are worth their weight in gold. It's the same with evangelism. We have a bad taste in our mouth because we've seen it done so many times wrongly, bluntly, forcefully that we shy away from it. But just as sales in the business world is about developing partnerships, being a partner with someone else in an enterprise, sales is about supplying a need or uh, for a demand. Sales is about keeping people running and helping people be successful. It's about relationships. It's giving somebody what they need when they need it. And it can be a wonderful thing. This is evangelism can be a wonderful thing. If we find people, God leads us to people who are hungering and thirsting for something more, who are hurting and looking for health and wholeness. It's a wonderful thing. We must be ready to go where God leads us. We, we must be ready. And we never know where God will send us to. Perhaps the CFO of the Ethiopian Empire. Perhaps the drunkard in the gutter. Perhaps our neighbor. It's not ours to know to whom God will send us. Evangelism is not making cold calls. 
but following God's lead. It's about developing relationships and offering salvation and health and joy and peace to others. To do God's will, to be good evangelists, to do our part in in this evangelical effort, we must study. We must be prayerful and knowledgeable. We must have a knowledge of our faith that we can explain to others. We have to, have to have a knowledge of the scriptures that we can explain to others. We can point to Jesus through the scriptures. Or the scriptures can point to Jesus through our understanding of it. Don't ever forget that. It's not enough just to come to church or to say you love Jesus. You must study and understand the Christian faith in order to spread it, to share it, to bring others to Christ, to ease the pain in others' hearts. We also know that we must act and not sit around pondering. There's only so many ideas we can put off for months and years before passions die and hearts grow cold. We must act on our passions in prayer when God puts something on our hearts. It's ours to act on it, not to put it off to next year. We must be willing to keep changing the course as well. It's not our course, it's God's course. We must not always spend time and years reveling in our accomplishments, but we must always spend time trying to figure out what it is God wants and wills for our life next. If we do these things, we will live the Christian life to the fullest. We will be evangelists in the truest and purest and most beautiful sense of the word evangelist. So let us pray this day, brothers and sisters, that we may take to heart the example of St. Philip and become beautiful evangelists and live most fully into our life in Christ. In the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Amen.